Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, back with you again, week three, uh, live from the office of Living Loud Outdoors. Um, a little bit better time setting up this morning. Didn't have to go through all the shenanigans of getting the lighting just right. But I want to share with you, uh, this is week three. Um, we've gone through two weeks of becoming a follower of Christ. Um, week one was, was one who, as they go, shares Jesus with all they encounter. Week two was one who follows Jesus wherever he goes and buys into his mission. And don't forget that his mission is to seek out that which is lost so that it may be found. Uh, today we're going to jump into this in week three. It's a little bit longer, so I hope you stick with me. Um, who, who of you likes change? Uh, how many of you really like change? Is change good or is it bad? Is change tough? Why is change so difficult? These are all valid questions. It's difficult because we usually resist it. We usually resist change, but change is inevitable. I want to I want to talk to a little bit about what is a disciple. If you look at the dictionary, uh, Webster's dictionary, um, one of the characteristics of being a disciple is any other professed follower of Christ. Obviously, we know that the Bible calls the disciples the followers of Jesus, the guys that, that were his closest, his twelve, and then there were seventy. Um, any follower of Christ is considered a disciple in the dictionary. I like this. A person who is a pupil or adherent of the doctrines of another. A follower. Um, the word disciple is mentioned in Mark chapter 2, and it is mentioned some 58 times throughout the word. Uh, that kind of makes me think that it's a little bit important. Discipleship or following has a great deal to do with change. Everyone that Jesus called to follow him, they were doing something different with their lives until he said to those, those, those infamous two words, follow me. A follower of Christ is one who reorders their life and takes Jesus at face value. What does it mean to reorder your life? Again, going to the dictionary, um, the, the best statement here is to put in order again. So in other words, sometimes I think our lives get out of order because we're not who we were called to be. We, we, we don't become who we're created to be. So in order to become a follower of Christ, we have to reorder our life. We have to put it back in the order it was originally in. Face value. What, what does that phrase mean? And again, uh, the dictionary def defines face value as apparent value. So that we are a, a follower of Christ is one who reorders, puts back in order his life, and that we take Jesus at the apparent value of what we see Jesus as. Now that brings up another question. Does what you believe about Jesus change your life? I'll let that one soak in. Does what you believe about Jesus change your life? Has it changed the way you live your life? How you believe about Jesus and what you believe about him, has it changed your life? Mark chapter 1 sets the stage. It begins by explaining... What Jesus is here to do here on earth, he is carrying out his mission. People begin to come from everywhere to see him and, and to see what this guy's all about. We read where Jesus heals and sets free and he preaches and he teaches as crowds follow him, bringing their sick and uh, the possessed even to be healed. But we find in Mark chapter 2, folks are starting to ask questions. Now, there are four or five major questions addressed here in this chapter. In the first ch part of chapter 3, Jesus takes the time to address uh, and teach through some of these questions. Check this out. In the, in the chapter, um, in Mark, this would be in Mark chapter 2, 
starting verse 1, but when Jesus returned to Capernaum, or Capernaum, wherever you call that, Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So while he was preaching God's word, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So someone comes up with an idea and they dig a hole through the roof above his head and then they lowered their friend, their paralyzed friend, on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now seeing their faith, verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers in religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, well, wait a minute, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. Now, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. I love this. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, I love this. I, I, here we are in our, in our human glory, questioning how Jesus has the authority to forgive a man's sin. Here we, you know, we're questioning this, even though we've, we've watched what he's been doing. So to show him who he thinks he is, <laughs> he heals the paralyzed guy and he tells him to roll up his bed and go home. Now, moving right along, we'll get to the second question. Jesus calls Levi, Matthew. Now, when then Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds, and they were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. Be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, and he followed him. Now, there's a whole other sermon there and how Jesus could just walk up to someone and say, hey, follow me. And they put down everything they knew about their life and just followed this guy that they'd never met before, never seen before. There had to have been something about him that was just such a draw, that Holy Spirit just drawing men unto him. Let me get back to this. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Uh, there are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, outcasts and undesirables, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now again, Jesus hearing this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think they are, not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus didn't come to call these people who feel like they're righteous. He came to call us, those who know that we're just sinners. Now, the main text of his teaching is Mark chapter 2, 18 through 28. There's a discussion about fasting. Now, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink up and, and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, 
and the wine and the skins both would be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, here's a discussion about the Sabbath. And again, I love this. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures that David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God during the days of Abathar was the high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Man, I love that. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath day, the holy day, the, the one we call church day, was not made to meet the needs of people. Or it was made to meet the needs of people, and, and it wasn't made for the people to meet the needs of the law. I love the way he puts that. Then, uh, the gist of this is Jesus is trying to teach that what is important is buying into his mission, seeking out that which is lost so that it may be found, and not following the religious law just to say that we did. Jesus did not come to this earth to make us better. He came to this earth to make us new. He came to instigate change in our life, our lifestyle, so that we can do what he called us to do by going into all the world and making followers of everyone we encounter. To put our lives in order again, to buy into his mission, and to take Jesus at faith value. Jesus must be Lord in our lives. We must allow him to bring about change in us. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? A follower of Christ is one who reorders their life and takes Jesus at face value. God bless you guys. Chew on this one through this week. I'll see you again next weekend.